Good morning. We're glad that you're here and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 54 to 65 today as we discover what happened in Peter's life when the Lord caught him. Last week we looked at the darkness and dealing with darkness in our souls and in our lives just as Jesus went through his own darkness in the Garden of Gethsemane. He now equips us to move through our own periods of darkness that we face. And this morning, as we look at the arrest of Jesus, in reading it we're going to see the powerlessness of our own self-determination, our own self-confidence. But at the same time, there is a liberating power of getting caught. How do we see that in this story? Luke 22, beginning in verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy! Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to the wonderful things you have for us in your word today. Lead us into faithfulness as disciples by your power. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now... I'm not going to ask by show of hands how many of you have ever been caught eating too many cookies like Brett. But all of us, I think at one point or another in our lives, have had someone say to us, I saw what you did. I saw it. Ever been caught doing something you shouldn't do or saying something that you shouldn't say or or even having an attitude exposed that you thought had been adequately buried and nobody knew about it? And yet here it was brought to the surface. I have, and you have too. And sometimes getting caught can be the best possible thing for us. Because when we get caught, it can bring us to the end of our self-determination, our own self-confidence, and instead be led to another power that's at work within us. How do we see that here in this story? Well, we see, first of all, the powerlessness of self-determination in Peter's life. You know, self-determination seems like it's almost an American birthright, isn't it? We, we choose our own leaders. We work hard to get ahead in life. We battle to climb the rungs of society. And that's the American dream that so often defines who we are. 
But self-determination doesn't get us very far in the Christian life. In verse 54, Jesus was arrested. And where was Peter? He was following behind him. It's amazing, isn't it? And then in the wee hours of the morning, the soldiers, it said, lit a fire and began to beat and torture and ridicule Jesus. And where was Peter? He was right there in the courtyard. Verse 55 tells us he sat down among the temple guards. He sat with them around their campfire. Now, that was an incredibly brave and courageous thing for Peter to do, to follow Jesus, to follow after the guards that had arrested him, and furthermore, to actually go into the place where they were examining Jesus, where they were mocking him and torturing him. Don't forget that Peter was one of the guys. He had just cut off one of these guys' ears just a few hours before. It was incredibly brave for Peter to do that. Well, why? Why did he risk so much to follow after Jesus here? Well, I think it was to prove his loyalty. Remember back up in verse 33, he had protested, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. The shocking thing is, I think Peter genuinely meant it when he said those things. I think that Peter screwed up all of his might and his strength and his commitment and his confidence to follow as a disciple, and he walked with Jesus into the belly of the beast right there. And the rest of the disciples, except for John, that we read in John chapter 18, the rest of them fled, but not Peter. He was the strong one. He was the determined one. But how far did all that determination get him? How far does your self-determination get you? Verse 56, a servant girl spotted him. I think Luke included that detail that she was a servant girl for a reason. Servant girls weren't allowed to give testimony. Servant girls' words weren't allowed to be trusted if someone was being accused of something. A servant girl's testimony was no count. She was no threat to Peter at all. But in that moment, all of Peter's might and his determination and his courage and his conviction, it all left him. And his knees went weak and shaky. She pointed him out And Peter reflexively protested, Woman, I don't know him. It's a little bit too strong of a protest, don't you think? Mark, in his account, tells us that the rooster crowed the first time after this happened. I wonder what Peter thought when he heard that rooster crow. Maybe a little bit like me when... I've given into a sin that I know is wrong, that I know is, is, is terrible, that I know is, is awful right then and there. Maybe Peter thought like I so often do, Lord, I'm not going to do it again. I promise. I won't ever do that again. I'll be better next time. I'm better than this. The next guy, verse 58, made a stronger accusation. He said, you're one of them. And that was a little bit more threatening because... This accusation meant that not only that he knew Jesus, but he was on his leadership team. He was one of them. Again, Peter denied it, and Mark says the rooster crowed again. Second time after this denial. And then verse 59 says an hour went by before the third person challenged him. Think about that hour for Peter. What must that have felt like? Sitting around that campfire? Sitting there with all these guards wondering, am I going to be found out? Are they going to know? Are they going to beat me? He could hear the next room over is where Jesus was being accused and mocked and beaten and tortured. He could hear it. 
It was happening right there. He might have been able to see Jesus too. We know from verse 61 that Jesus could at least see him. It was an hour of the mocking, of the beating, of the ridicule, and Peter having denied Jesus twice already. What must he have been thinking? I'm not going to do it again. Not this time. I'm going to stand up for you next time. I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. Sounds a lot like me. Maybe it sounds a lot like you. Lord, I'm going to do better next time. I promise. His third denial was even more emphatic. Verse 59, the ESV reads, Certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. And the literal translation is this, In truth, this man was with them. It means, come on, tell the truth. You were with them. We know you're a Galilean. Galileans had a, a distinct accent, kind of like being from central Virginia. You, you know when somebody's from around here, right? He's a Galilean. We know you're with them. We know you're one of them. Tell the truth. Your accent gives you away. But the third time, verse 60, Peter said, I have no idea what you're talking about. What had happened to all of Peter's determination? What happened to all that that courage and that conviction and that bravery? Where did it all go? Well, it went the same place as mine and yours do all too often. It goes out the window on the wings of the fear of man. On the wings of fear of what are they going to do to me? How are they going to treat me? Why? Why did all of his determination go? Why does ours go? Because in ourselves we have no power to fight against our sin. In our flesh, in our own self-determination, we have no power to battle against our fears or our weaknesses, our deep idolatries that want to replace God with something we think we desperately need for satisfaction. It just doesn't lie within us to have that power. And I think Peter gives us a clue as to the demise of Peter. When he, when they, what had they been doing when Jesus told them to pray? Just a few verses before. Jesus had told them, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Pray so that you don't fail in trial. What were they doing? They were sleeping. They were sleeping partly for sorrow, but also as the other Gospels tell us, and Peter's actions bore out, they weren't praying because they didn't think they needed to. I've got this, Jesus. I'm strong enough. I've got this. I'm sticking by you. I'm going to be the one to die with you. I'll fight for you. Let me at him. I'm strong enough to handle it. Maybe you feel the same way in your own soul sometimes. Lord, I can handle this. Just give me another shot. We fail to speak to him and ask him for strength to endure. The reality was that Peter wasn't strong enough to handle a little bit of questioning from a slave girl, and neither are we. All of our determination to do better, to be better, add up to a big, fat fail when it comes to following after Jesus. We don't have the strength within us to produce holiness We don't have the strength within us to bear witness to Jesus on our own. We need another power at work within us. We need the Holy Spirit to give us strength when we're afraid. We need the Holy Spirit to encourage us when we are tempted. We need the Holy Spirit to help us realize that I cannot depend upon myself. And neither can you. You can't depend upon yourself. There has to be another power at work within you. If you've been around Rivermont for a while, you would have 
will have heard of the five solas of the Reformation, those those watchwords, those principles, the onlys of the Reformation and recover the, the gospel faith in the church. There are, we're saved through Christ alone, through grace alone, by grace alone, uh, by faith alone, through grace alone, our authority is Scripture alone and all to the glory of God alone. Those five principles that help us recover the center of our faith. But all too often, you and I add another one. We add another one, and it's sola bootstrapsa. I'm going to make it through my life by pulling up my bootstraps all on my own. I'm going to make it. I'm strong enough. I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to grit out this Christian life thing because I can make it. Well, no, you aren't. And neither am I. If we want to grow in the Christian life, if we want to find the power to fight against the sin in our lives, to to battle against the fears, to deal with the idols of approval, desperately wanting other people to like us, if we are going to battle against it and follow after Jesus, then we're going to have to become increasingly a people who come to the end of ourselves. He realized... I can't make it on my own. I have to become more of a person of prayer, asking the Lord for His strength in His life to bubble up within me, His power to preserve me. Our self-determination is powerlessness in the Christian life. There's got to be another power at work. Well, we see it here in this text. We see there's a power of getting caught. Remember, Jesus... Was, being, was tied up and he was being beaten, and yet he was still in charge. It's incredible. Verse 64 tells us of this perverse game that they were playing. They tied up Jesus and, and blindfolded him so that he couldn't see. And the game they played is these soldiers would punch him while he was blindfolded, and they said, if you're a prophet, if you're one who can tell the future, if you're one who has actually a, a spokesman for God, then who hit you? If you're a prophet... Why don't you tell us the truth? Why don't you tell us this thing that nobody else could know except the prophet? Are you really? Talk about police brutality and abuse of authority. There it was in Jesus' life. And yet while it was going on, while they were ridiculing him about not being a prophet, Jesus was still in charge and his prophecy was playing out. He had told Peter in verse 34, you're going to deny me three times. And here he was, happening exactly like Jesus said it would. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, tells us that Jesus would be beaten. He would be afflicted. He was going to be pummeled. And here it was happening exactly as it was foretold. Even while his eyes were blindfolded, even while he was being ridiculed, he was still in charge. And he was still in charge of Peter's faith too. Must have been between the blows. Or at least when the blindfold was off for a minute that Peter denied Jesus the third time and Luke tells us the rooster crowed again. And then in verse 61, this, this in my mind may be one of the most awful verses in the whole Bible. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Could you imagine what that would have been like? I wonder what Peter saw in those eyes. I wonder what Peter felt knowing the heartache. You and I know what it's like to look into the eyes of someone that you've betrayed and they discover it. We know what that feels like. It's one of the most awful 
and shameful and terrifying moments imaginable. It must have been awful for Peter. But also, it was the most liberating thing. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to Peter for him to get caught, for him to know right then and there that God saw what he did. And for you and for me, for us to get caught can be terrifying and at the same time the most liberating thing to happen to us. Why? Because when Peter got caught, the Lord's eye was on him, but that's not all. The Lord's eye on him stopped him. But look again at verse 61. It said, the Lord looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. Now, in my opinion, this is a really unfortunate translation. There are lots of ways that Luke could say Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. And this isn't one of them. What Peter's, what, what Luke reported here is that Peter remembered the word of the Lord. The lagu to kuriu, the word of the Lord, a technical term. It's a technical term for what prophets deliver. It's a technical term of God's authoritative revelation. Peter had Jesus look at him and he remembered the prophet. He remembered what Jesus said. He remembered the prophecy of the denial. And he also remembered the prophecy of all these other things that Jesus had said just a few hours before. He remembered that whole night. That Jesus was the the Lamb of God slain in the Passover. He remembered that Jesus knew his weakness. He remembered that Jesus knew and prophesied that Peter was going to fail. He knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God to take away his sin upon the cross. He knew. He remembered God's Word. He remembered the Lord's Word that Peter would repent and be restored. The Lord's eyes exposed Peter, but in his love, he was reminded of the promises. He was reminded of the word of the Lord. Jesus' eyes and his mouth, the word, exposed Peter's heart and his life in that moment. And by the word, by the promises, life came again. By the word... Peter was restored, and he restores you and me, too, when we fail him. Through that word of Jesus going to the cross for us, through the word of Jesus being raised from the dead for us, it heals where we've been exposed. It brings life when we get caught. When you and I get caught, we have to remember that Jesus went to the cross for people like us who get caught in their sin, people who have no ability to fight it on our own. Getting caught can send us out weeping as it did Peter, but at the same time, getting caught can be an incredible grace. It can be, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Getting caught can be that instrument of The Lord bringing sorrow into our lives that leads us to turn to Him and ask Him for the power to have a change of life because we know how deeply we've been forgiven, how deeply we've been loved. Getting caught can be a tremendous gift because although we've been exposed by the work of the Lord Jesus upon the cross and His power within us, that exposure leads us to repentance. It leads us to turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus for His life and His strength and getting caught can be the best thing possible to happen to people who are trapped in sin. People who are ashamed can be the best thing for our trust in ourselves 
to be exposed as inadequate. Nothing can dispel shame like the piercing gaze of loving eyes. I remember when Missy and I were dating and there was something that I needed to tell her about my past. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember the night when I told her. I was afraid and that whole time we were together, I was, I was distant. I wouldn't even look at her. She was patient. She was kind. She was probing. She asked questions and tried to get me to talk with her, but I couldn't do it. I just spent the night just gazing at the floor, filled with shame. I couldn't even look at her. And then I remembered just determining, I'm going to tell her. And finally I got the words out, but I couldn't lift my eyes. I, I looked at the floor. I made my confession to the, to the wooden, the hardwood floor. I still remember it. I was too ashamed to look at her eyes. And as I finished telling her what I needed to say, she said to me, Clay, look at me. I couldn't do it. She asked me again, look at me. I wouldn't do it. And she reached out her hands and gently took my chin in her hands and lifted my face until my eyes could see hers. And I feared rejection. I feared judgment. But what I saw instead was a fierce grace and a commitment of love. She looked me in the eye that night and she said, Clay, I love you, but more importantly, Jesus loves you. I was terrified of being found out. But when I was found out, I was brought more deeply into the loving heart of my wife. And that loving heart of my wife showed me the heart of the Savior toward me. That's what He's like. We're His forgiven children. And Peter saw in the eyes of Jesus that He was found out and He remembered the Word, the Word of promise that, Peter, you are a far worse sinner than you ever imagined you would be. And yet, I love you. I'm committed to you more than you ever dreamed. Those eyes and that love that led Peter to repent. Friends, in your moment of bitter shame, fear of being found out, let the joy of that incredible promise for the shameful lift your face so the Lord speaks His word of blessing and forgiveness over you. Being found out can be the most incredibly gracious gift anyone will ever give to you. But you know, of course, there's another kind of sorrow that can emerge from getting caught. It's the remainder of that verse in 2 Corinthians 7 where it says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow produces death, just like it did in Judas. It's interesting to me that in the Gospel of Matthew he places the exposure of Peter and Judas's suicide back to back. What a difference in those two guys, Peter and Judas, when they got caught. Judas had tears too. Judas changed his mind too. He went to the high priest and he said, Jesus is innocent. And he tried to give back all the money that they paid him. Judas felt sorry for what he had done, but that's where it ended. It ended in despair. He went out and took his life in shame. Judas felt remorse. He felt sorry for what he had done, but he did not repent. 
Why? What's the difference between the remorse and the repentance? I think this is it. Judas was sorry and filled with despair because he knew he couldn't fix this one. He knew that no matter what he did, no matter what he tried to give back, he couldn't undo his actions. And that remorse undid him and he took the only option he thought he had to deal with his shame. He took his own life. Jesus exposed the counterfeit faith of Judas and he couldn't bear to admit it. He couldn't admit who he was and turn and repent to Jesus for mercy. Instead, he did what you and I so often do when we can't see a pathway forward to fixing ourselves. We go deep into a hole of despair. I can't fix myself. What do I do now? Friends, trying to grow by fixing ourselves, by the power of our own self-determination, is the recipe for spiritual despair in your life. Peter's repentance was much more than simply feeling sorry. His repentance was driven by remembering who Jesus is. That He's loving and He's merciful and He's forgiving. He had seen it in Jesus' eyes and He had heard it in His Word. He trusted that there was a power available to Him, a power of forgiveness and a power of the Spirit within Him that could enable Him to change. It wasn't all end. It wasn't all despair. And it was in that life-giving gaze and in those promises that Peter found life. Friends, for us, when we get caught... I hope you experience it as a life-giving opportunity. Because getting caught can lead us to the end of our own strength. Lead us to the end of our own self-confidence and instead move us to turn to the Lord for His word of forgiveness, His word of grace, His word of reconciliation, and experiencing the resurrection power of God within us to make us different. The power of being exposed can be the vehicle of the Lord leading you to abandon yourself to the Holy Spirit whose power is real and produces a changed life. If you get caught, I hope you're able to say, praise the Lord. If you're at the end of your rope, I hope that you can say, praise the Lord. Because at the end of yourself, you will find the power of the resurrection power of the one who is alive in you. It's interesting to me the next time that Peter appears in the Gospels is at the tomb. He rushed to that tomb, John tells us, and he shoved John out of the way so that he could be the first one to get in and see that the tomb is empty. Imagine that moment for Peter, the last time he saw Jesus. The last time he spoke to Jesus were through tears and worrying and fear. The last words that his friend heard from him were, I don't know him. It doesn't matter to me if you take him to his death. I don't know him. That was the last thing Jesus heard from Peter. But now when he came to that tomb, his heart leapt because he knew it was all true. All those words, all those prophecies of His sin being taken to the cross and Jesus being raised from the dead in victory, it all came rushing back. It's true. And it lifted His heart for hope. Friends, I hope that that amazing truth of the resurrection power of Jesus will bring you to the end of your own self-confidence and abandon yourself 
to the power of the risen Lord and you will never come to the end of His power. He's the one who took your sin upon Himself and nailed it to the cross. And He's the one who came out of the grave conquering evil, your evil. It might take getting caught to get there, to get to the end of your rope, but friends, never doubt His power. It's available for you by faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask that Your strength, Your power, Your life would be found within us. Even even those of us here this morning who either have been caught, are in the process of getting caught, or will be caught. I pray, Father, that the shame of exposure, instead of leading us to despair, will lead us to the foot of the cross, where we find forgiveness and healing, and will take us to the empty tomb, where we find the power, your power, to change us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.